So we're starting a new series. We're calling it More, More, More. And the title of my message this weekend is Eat More. And you go, I know a number of you are going, I got to jump on that one, man. We are way ahead on that one. Uh, I'm off to a good start after Thanksgiving. You know, according to the CCC, I didn't even know there was a CCC, but apparently there is, the Calorie Control Council. All right. Apparently it's a real thing. We consume an average of 4,500 calories on Thanksgiving. 4,500. Now, interestingly enough, 3,000 is just the meal. And then the other 1,500 is the snacking, the nibbling, and the grazing after the meal. It's the grazing that always gets us, isn't it? (laughs) Every time it's the grazing. But, you know, as I look around at you folks, you fine folks, and as I look into the mirror, I'm pretty sure that none of us is going to be in danger of starving. We are pretty well fed. But interestingly enough, the prophet Amos says something very striking. He says something that we, we, we kind of look at it and we go, whoa, this is kind of different. This is kind of unexpected. And in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he says this, The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. The famine isn't a, a f- famine of bread and water. It's a famine of hearing God's word. I believe they're there. I believe that famine has hit America. I, it's hit more uh, many parts of the world, but we are right in the middle of a famine. I think people are, are less biblically illiterate today than they've ever been before. I think fewer people read the Bible today than ever before. And the famine of the book of Amos has arrived. Um, there's never been a time, too, when the Bible has been more available to us. Uh, there are many people groups around the world uh, that have no part of any part of the Bible. No New Testament, no Old Testament, no, not even the Gospel of John. They don't even have it in their own language. Uh, you know, you think about that. There are about, there's over 5,000 different languages uh, in the world. Around 3,000 have a portion of the Word of God in their own tongue. You say, well, what difference does it make in their own tongue? Well, it makes all the difference in the world because many times your mother tongue is where you really, it's very emotive, it's where you really connect. In fact, there was a point where Carol and I, when I was uh, in seminary, that we had, were prayerfully considering going uh, on the mission field with Wycliffe Bible translators. And we, we took a summer of classes in the univer- at the University of North Dakota with uh, Wyc- Wycliffe Bible translators because we just felt like, man, if, if somebody has, doesn't even have the word in their own language, how do they even have a chance? How can they hear if they don't even have the word of God in their own language? And God has, you know, kind of through that time uh, redirected us. But uh, we've always had a burden for people who, who don't have the Word of God in their own language. We in America have multiple versions of God's Word. We have study Bibles. We have the freedom to read and listen and consume the Word of God. You may, you know, you know it's one thing to even have the Word of God in your own language. And now you think, okay, do, but do you even have the freedom to have a Bible and to read a Bible? Well, we, we have both. You, you, it's, it's not what Bible do I want to read, but what version do I want to read? Do I want to read a study Bible or not read a study Bible? Um, 
We have the freedom to read, to listen, to consume the Word of God as never before. There's no government that is banning us from listening or reading the Word of God. But there is a famine in the land. Christians are biblically illiterate. We don't read the Bible. We don't read the Bible. Um, we don't read the Bible, and we're... Uh, and I think it's mainly because we're consumed by other pursuits. We have other things going on. We're too busy. We, we just don't take time for it. Now, we're told that the human body can go about three weeks without food. Three weeks. Uh, we're told that the, the human body can generally go with three days without water. But here's the problem. We think, and I think this is our biggest part, big part of our problem, we think that we can live without God's Word. But we can't. And what I mean by that is, I don't think, if, if I were to ask you a question is, do you think you can live without God's word? I think most of us say, no, I don't think I can. But our practice shows or proves, you know, behavior is, you know, show me what you do. That's really what you believe. Our behavior really dictates that we, in our hearts, don't think we really need God's word. We don't really think that we need God's word. Well, let me ask you, how, how's it going with you in your life? How's it going? What's your outlook on life? My, my, my understanding is if you're, if you're rather regularly reflecting on the Word of God, I can guess that you're probably doing okay. That doesn't mean life is generally is going well for you, but your, your circumstances aren't de- driving or determining how you're doing in life. If you're in the Word of God, you, you find that you have hope, you have joy, even in spite of whatever circumstances you, you've, you're going through. But if you aren't taking time to read the Word of God, you're not hearing from God, my assumption is that things aren't going well, that you, uh, your outlook is bad, that your direction of life is off course. You may not even know it. The Bible says that when you delight in His Word, you will find hope, purpose, encouragement, correction, and delight. Jeremiah says this, When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. How many of us can honestly say that's really the word of God to me? They are my joy and my heart's delight. Well, some of you right now are feeling guilty. And you know what? Uh, my motivation isn't to make you feel guilty. My motivation is to challenge you in this area. And to give you a plan so that you can do better in this area. Because I think if you do better in this area, everything in your life will, will, will go better. Uh, so that's, that's my goal. And I want to give you three practical steps for eating more of God's Word. Eating more of God's Word. As I said, uh, this more, more, more is we need to eat more. But uh, not maybe not more food, but more, more of God's Word. So um, here's uh, three practical steps uh, to eat to help you eat more of God's word. And I would say, you know, in the new year, but let's start now. Why wait? Right. Why wait? <laughs> would any of us say, well, you know what? I think I, I had a nice meal at Thanksgiving. Uh, I think I'll wait until January one to eat my next meal. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. Uh, here's the first point. Don't worry about reading your Bible. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, this is, I, I'm not a super logical person, but you seem to be saying I need to read my Bible. Now you're telling me I don't need to worry about reading my Bible. It seems like that's a contradiction. In other words, you're making a case that I should read my Bible, and now you tell me I don't need to. Here's what I mean. Some of you are readers, and some of you are not. 
Um, some of you read three or four books at the same time. <laughs> You're a third done in this one, a fourth done in this one, halfway done. Let me give you some statistics about reading in America. Seven in ten American adults, 72% have read a book within the past year. Now, it's interesting because it says they've read a book, whether in whole or in part, or in any format. Okay. Now, there's a lot of... <laughs> that means you could have read the table of contents, right? Said, oh, this book's too long. I don't think I want to read it after all. And you could say, well, I did read that book. Well, technically, yeah, you did. Or you could have read the, the introduction or the preface or maybe the first chapter and said, yeah, I'm going to get around to it someday. But you don't get around to it. Fifty percent of adults um, who are, are unable to read at an eighth grade level. Fifty percent of adults are unable to read at an eighth grade level. Okay. So my guess is you may not, if you are having trouble reading, interestingly enough, when I sit down in a small group or I sit down in my office and I'm meeting with people and I ask them to read, many times people are very nervous about that because they're not good readers. And I understand that. 50% of Americans can't read at an eighth grade level. 33% of U.S. high school graduates will, will never read a book after high school. A third of all high school graduates will never read another book. 42% of college students will never read another book after they graduate. <laughs> more than half. <laughs> or not more than half, but 42%. I'm not good with math. I'm good with the other things. 42%. Get this one. 80% of U.S. families did not buy a book this year. 80%. So the, the point I'm trying to make is, that we're moving away from being a book-reading culture. Now, listen, you'll say, but I have my Kindle. This takes in, a lot of these take in Kindle and stuff like that. And we read the webs. We read Facebook. You know, so there's, there's reading. It's not like we don't read. But here's the point. Like many Americans, some of you are not readers. So when a pastor or someone else tells you you should be reading your Bible, you feel guilty because you're not a good reader. And maybe you only have the King James Bible, which was, you know, written in 1611 and uses these and thous and uh, Elizabethan English that we don't use anymore and haven't used for 400 years. Not, the point I want you to see is not everyone is a reader or can read well. Not everyone can. The printing press was invented uh, in the Holy Roman Empire by German Johann Gutenberg around 1440. Until then, only a select few people even had a copy of the Scriptures to read. They couldn't read or write, let alone have a copy of the Word of God. Here's my point. If you're not a reader, it's perfectly okay to listen. It's not cheating. It's not cheating to listen to the Word of God. <laughs> Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, right? So listening to the Word of God is perfectly okay. Now, here's something that is very interesting and hopefully encouraging. If you listen to the Bible 30 minutes a day, you will go through the whole Bible twice. 30 minutes a day, you'll go through the whole Bible twice. Now, some of you are doing the math better than I can. And you say, no, wait a minute. 
That means if I, only, if I listen to the Bible 15 minutes a day, I could go through the whole Bible in a year. And you are absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. You are, if you either read or listen to the Bible 15 minutes a day, you will go through the whole Bible in a year. All right? So that's the first point. You don't have to read it. You can listen to it. All right? Point number two. You do need to eat your Bible. You do need to be in your Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Maybe this is the passage that would be a great one to jump to. Page uh, 146. If you don't have a Bible, we have these things called chair Bibles, and they're in the chair in front of you. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you're a reader, uh, take that Bible with you and use it. The only thing we say is if you're going to take it, use it. Don't just take it and set it on your coffee table. By the way, if some of you have five or six of those on your coffee table, bring them back. All right? We need them for the people that are going to read them. <laughs> All right. Deuteronomy chapter 8, page 146. God is speaking through the prophet, through basically through Moses, and he's warning his people. He's warning them. And in Deuteronomy, this is what he says, Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you, notice, go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So God led his people into the wilderness, out of Egypt, right, into the wilderness. Moses is leading them. The short, short end of the story is they, they need water, and they cry out to God, and God gives them water. They need food. They cry out to God, and God gives them quail, and then he gives them manna. Then they begin to complain about manna. They come to the promised land, and they're ready to move into the promised land. And the spies go in, 12 spies, one representative from each, each uh, uh, tribe, each family. And they come back with a report. Ten say we can't do it. Two say we should do it. God will lead us. God. So they vote on it. One of the reasons why voting isn't always the best thing to do if you want the will of God. So ten said no. Two said yes. The ten that said no and that generation perished in the wilderness because they wandered for 40 years. The two that said yes, Joshua and Caleb, entered into the land. Joshua became the commander chief of the army and took the land. Caleb took the giants that they were afraid of. The point is, God was saying, I fed you every day with manna. Every day. Why did I do it every day? Why didn't I just give you food that would last for, and it would spoil. They had to get go out and get manna every day. Why didn't God just give them food that wouldn't spoil? Because he wanted his people to know, and this is the test that they failed, and this is the test that we failed. That your life depends on Him. And so every day when you took manna, it was a reminder that there was a God who provided that. A God that you desperately needed because without Him, your life won't work. Now 
some of us today, we have refrigerators full of turkey and dressing and stuffing and cranberry sauce and pie, if that pie's left. And by the way, if there's pie left, what's wrong with you? That should, should be no pie left today. Sorry. <laughs> but the point is, uh, we, we, don't, we don't worry about where our next meal is coming from. There are many cultures, in thir- people in third world countries don't know where their next meal is coming from. But we don't worry about that. We don't have to trust and rely upon God. That's the curse of America. That's the curse of plenty. We can live our lives without any thought of God. And that's the problem with the nation of Israel. God's saying, I gave you man every day so you would remember that you desperately need me. God was using his provision, his daily means to teach his people that they were in desperate need of his protection, his provision and and direction to lead them into the promised land. So we come to the New Testament. And Jesus is baptized by John, remember, in the Jordan River? And then in in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is taken, led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. And he fasts for how long? Forty days and forty. How long were the people of Israel in the wilderness? Forty years. A day for every year. And then Jesus was tested. What did the nation of Israel do? They failed the test, right? They failed to see that their, de- their need of God. And Jesus comes, and at his weakest moment, when he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy comes to him, and I want to read you that passage because he's going to quote this Deuteronomy passage. Notice what he says. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, almost saying, Yes, yes, sure you are. You say you are. Tell these stones to become loaves of bread, manna. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See what Jesus is doing here? Jesus was one person that lived on this earth that said, I desperately need my Father. I desperately need God in my life. Jesus passed what the nation of Israel failed. He showed himself to be the true Son of God. He conquered the wilderness where Israel failed. He trusted God instead of questioning him or replacing him. He depended completely on his Father. He lived on his Father's words. He was obedient to his Father. And ultimately, when we come to the end of the gospel, to the point of death. Here's, here's what I want you to see. The point is, if Jesus needed bread from heaven when he walked on this earth, how much more do we? If he said, I can't, I can't function here without my Father and his provision, his presence, his, his words in my life. If, if, if he says, I can't survive here without him, why do we think we can? And, and let's be honest, some of us are not surviving. We're certainly not thriving. Throughout the Bible, the Word of God is described as milk. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, and 1 Peter 2, 2. 
described as meat in Hebrews chapter 5, 12, and 13. It's described as sweeter than honey, Psalm 19, 10. And food, Jesus says, is food for our soul in Matthew chapter 4, 4. In the New Testament, Jesus called himself the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 35. And the living water in John chapter 4, verse 10. He said to the woman at the well, you need to drink from the living water. I can give you water that will come spilling out of you. In other words, he's saying to her, you have an emptiness in your soul that you don't even know. You have a spiritual void in your life that only I can fill. But when I fill your, that void, it will not just fill you up. It will come pouring out of you. And instead of being such a drain on people, you will become a blessing to people. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that he is good. Here's the point, that God created us with an inner spiritual hunger and thirst that only he can fill. The problem is we have tried to fill this void with a lot of things. And to a certain extent, they work a little bit but they don't ultimately fill that void. There's still an emptiness. We still lay our heads down in the pillow and say, something is missing in my life. That relationship, that job, that whatever it is, possession, car, home, or family, whatever it is, it's great, but it's just something's missing. And we're restless. And we wonder why we're restless. Bible reading becomes Bible eating and drinking. Only Jesus can quench our spiritual thirst and take care of this spiritual hunger that he's built within us. Now, just as we know the rhythms of our stomach, we know when we're getting hungry, the child of God discovers the rhythms of their soul. That if we go long a long time without eating from his work, word, Hunger begins to set into our soul. Now, the signs of spiritual hunger can manifest in the following ways. This is how you know that you're not taking the Word of God in enough. Here's some signs. We become overwhelmed with life. I've talked to some of you. Some of you are overwhelmed. I get that. Life can be overwhelming. We worry more. We become impatient and unloving. We become selfish. We lose hope. We become more in love with this world. We fear death. We forget about His presence in our lives. Those are just some of the signs of hunger pains. You know, they have this funny commercial with Snickers, and a person is of certain identity, and then they eat the Snickers bar, and or they use the phrase, I was hangry, you know. I needed to eat something because I get angry when I don't eat. Well, guess what? The same thing is true spiritually. When you're not taking the Word of God in on a regular, consistent basis, it's going to affect you. It's not just going to affect you spiritually. It's going to affect you physically. It's going to affect you relationally and socially. It will do that. Here's the third thing I want to share with you. That you need to follow a sustainable plan. Many of you, we start out at the beginning of the year and we challenge you. We have the last few years. Well, read through the New Testament. Read through the Bible. Join us. We did a series uh, a couple of years ago. We said, uh, eat that book. I think it was called or something like that. Where we, tr- we challenge you to read through the Bible. Um, and many of you, you did that. Some of you got to, you know, the middle of January or February and you go, okay, 
<laughs> just not happening anymore. And just you, you just uh, didn't have a sustainable plan. And so many Christians set out with good intentions to consistently read the Word of God, only to give up because they don't have a sustainable plan. So the key is you have to find a plan that fits your lifestyle. You have, yeah, listen, I, I grew up, and I didn't grow up a, a follower of Jesus Christ. I grew up in a Christian home, I guess, if you want to call it that, it was. Uh, but we didn't, like, when you started talking about loving Jesus and reading the Bible, people thought you were kind of freaking out here. You're going off into a cult. So it wasn't, you know, like biblical Christianity. It was kind of Christian-ish, but not Christ, true Christianity. The point is, as I grew as a, a younger Christian, um, I was told you need to have morning devotionals that go from anywhere from 30, for, you know, for the beginner to an hour or more, which consisted of multiple, you know, you know, a long prayer and great portions of the Bible. And, and some people are morning people. And, you know, it was suggested that five o'clock was a good time to get up and do all of that. And. I just felt tremendously guilty about that because it didn't work for me. And, of course, there was the journaling, right? It's like, okay, you, need, you should really have a journal and you should really write your thoughts down in the prayers and keep track of all that. And some people say, yes, I love journaling. Don't like journaling. Never did it. Tried it. I don't, it doesn't work for me, okay? If it works for you, that's wonderful. I hope you have a nice leather one with a little strap on it and everything, and it works great for you. Does this sound like I'm making fun of you? Because I'm not really trying to. I'm just saying it doesn't work for me. And it may not work for you. But here's some suggestions. Here's some suggestions. Bill, what I've found in my life, that when I, when I want to do something and I want to be consistent... If I can find a way to fit it into my regular schedule, I will be much more likely to be successful at it. If I try to add it, you know, and just say, well, I'll just find time for it, you'll, it won't happen. So here's a couple of suggestions that might work for you. Remember, we're talking 15 minutes a day. Okay? Now, you can break that into two. It's seven and, you know, seven and a half and seven and a half minutes or eight and six or ten and five or something. Um, doesn't have to be a 15-minute period. How about this? As you're getting dressed in the morning. You say, well, how am I supposed to read when I'm getting dressed? You can listen to it, right? Didn't we just already figure that out, right? Stay with me here. All right. While you're eating breakfast. On your way to work, you could read while you're on your reading breakfast, too, because most of you read the paper, and frankly, reading the Bible is probably a better idea anyways. <laughs> You'll be more encouraged. While you're eating breakfast, on your way to work, on your way home, during your morning or afternoon break, during your lunch, right after dinner, before you turn on the TV, when you exercise, when you go for a walk. Those are just some suggestions. If you have a regular thing that you do where you can just put some headphones on or you can just, uh, you know, take your Bible out, figure out what that is and, you know, have a plan. All right. You have time. Every one of us has the time to do this. You desperately need it. I hope I've kind of made a little bit of a case that you desperately need it. 
Whether you know it or not, you desperately need it. If Jesus needed it, you need it. You have, e- you, have e- you have easy and effective ways with our current technology. More than we've ever had before. If you have a cell phone. You say, well, I don't have a smartphone. Well, fine. Get a smartphone. I don't really know. Put a cassette tape in. I don't care. Uh, but, you know, you could figure it out, right? Um, you don't really have an excuse. You can't say it's too hard. I'm not a reader. Somebody will read it for you. Alexander Scorby, or whatever his name is, who sounds like Dracula. But, you know, I, there's, there's a whole bunch of plans out there. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to, here's the easiest way possible that you could possibly do it. The easiest possible way you could do it. You can go to the ehope.org website. You can download our application. You say, well, you have ulterior motives here. No, I really don't have ulterior motives here. Um, I'm trying to help you. We have a version for the Apple platform and for the Android uh, platform. You can download that app. And on your phone, it'll say Bible. You click on Bible, and it brings up the Bible. And you can decide where you want to start, and just it will keep going. And you can hit play, and it will play it, and it will do it. It will read it to you. You could choose a different version. There's like five or six different versions of it. So you could choose a version. So this is right on that app. It can't be any easier. If you have a phone, you could do this. And you could set your phone down while you're getting ready. You can, maybe it takes you five or ten minutes to get ready. You're, you're just about done. You don't have to be sitting there on your knees with your hands folded. Now, pay attention to it, obviously. You know, maybe you have a prayer, God, speak to me through this word. Go to the Hope website, download the app. In the app, there's a Bible link. You'll be taken to the Bible. You can choose a version. Uh, I would recommend the NLT. That's what we use here. Or the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a little more literal. Okay? Uh, you can read either, uh, either read it or you can listen to it. Now, here's your motivation. If you, if you want to do a six-month plan, you could read through the books of Genesis through Revelation, if it says Revelations, hey, change that because it should be t- for tomorrow. Revelation, all right? Revelation, not Revelations. Um, six months. Uh, if you read 30, 30 minutes a day, you'll read through the Bible in six months. Twelve months if you read 15 minutes per day. Say you want to start with the New Testament. Great place for many of you to start. 15 minutes a day, or 15 minutes per day, and you will uh, read through the New Testament in three months. Six-month plan, if you're really going to drag it out, uh, seven, <laughs> seven minutes, okay? Seven minutes a day, and you'll be through the New Testament in six months. Now, they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I would say you can lead a Christian to the Word of God, but you can't make them read it or listen to it. But I've made my best effort. The question I want to ask you is, if you have no desire to drink, if you have no desire to eat, the question is why? 
because there may be something deeper going on there. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And if you have no desire to know the shepherd and to hear his voice, the question you have to ask is, am I really one of his sheep? Am I a child of the king? Am I a sheep of his sheepfold? And that's really a much deeper and much more important question to settle. Do you hear his voice? And really, the, the question I want to ask you is, what difference will this week be for you in your life because you're going to take the message and the Spirit of God is going to encourage you to get involved with the Word of God? Because if you start getting involved in the Word of God, you're going to see some amazing things happen and you are going to begin to feast on the Word of God, and you are going to eat more. And as you eat more of His Word, you're going to... It's not going to change your circumstances. Probably it's going to change how you respond to your circumstances. You'll have joy even when life gets hard. You'll have hope. You'll have purpose. You'll, your feet will be more firm. When life gets overwhelming, you'll be able to sort it out. You'll just go to the Word and say, God, speak to me through your Word, and He will. You'll find that what God does is He'll bring a Word to your life that you need to hear that day or that week, and you'll be amazed over and over and over how God speaks into your life. He'll do it. I guarantee it. So as we end this year and begin a new year, you guys need to eat more. Eat more this year. Stand with me. Father, thank you for bringing us together, whether here or at the Rosha campus, Father, or online. Maybe somebody who just was recommended to look at this video but they don't know where to begin. Hopefully they know where to begin now, and they, 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 they're going to come up with a plan, a sustainable plan. Because, Father, if your son, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, realized that life comes from you, from your word, then we desperately need it. Help us to make room and make time to read and reflect, to listen and reflect on your word daily as the people of Israel went out to get manna every day, may we go out and get your manna, your word, daily, so that we remember without you, life has no meaning, it has no purpose, it has no hope. And we need to be reminded of that daily. Man and women and children and young people shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth, from your mouth, our God and our Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.